On today's show, we'll be looking at the eighth chapter of Christianity Today's New Life Rising devotional entitled, A Waste of Time, A Work of Love. Joining me today is Christ Church's Director of Family Ministry, Brad Bogue. Brad, welcome. Hey, thank you, Grant. So glad that you're joining us. So, Brad, a theory has been coming out more and more about peeps that I'm asking the wrong crowd about them, but you as family ministries may be able to share insight about peeps. Maybe you're a fan of them and you're driving this peep craze that has apparently swept the nation, but no one knows about it. So, Brad, your opinion on peeps? I'm not the man. I... First of all, I'm diabetic, so it's kind of like adding insult to injury, Grant. What a terrible icebreaker. (laughs) And also, (laughs) I think they're disgusting. I can't imagine liking them, but I know many young children who do. I think it's just the unrefined palate, the children. Okay, maybe. Desiring that sweetness. Okay. I don't know. Maybe. They're not even cute, so I can't even... That's the closest we've gotten to a theory so far, so I appreciate it. I appreciate the wisdom. I've yet to meet an adult who really likes peeps. Uh, maybe one of our listeners. Maybe. I would love to meet that person. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, Brad, thanks for joining us for this conversation. I, I really like, we were talking before we recorded about how much we both really just loved this devotional uh, and just the, the hope-filled nature of these ones post-Lent of living in this Easter season. And so let's jump into it. Brad, asking the question, have we wasted our lives that this devotional begin with, begins with is a difficult, vulnerable one to ask, but I know that's one that we do wrestle with. And so many people may not know this about you, but you've, you have this great diversity of experience in ministry. You've worked in a school, you've been a foreign missionary, you've worked in children's, now family ministry. So Brad, how have you been confronted with that question in your different vocations? Have we wasted our lives? I think that's that's a deep question. I think it's really something that's a deep-seated fear within all of us. Yeah. That we come to a point where we haven't been good stewards of our lives and mm-hmm. our time and our skills. And you're right. I've had a lot of different experiences. I haven't had a really smooth or straightforward journey with Jesus and vocations. When I was in high school, I felt a very strong and distinct call toward vocational ministry, and I spent the next 12 years of my life running the opposite way. I was like Jonah, you know, (laughs) thinking that I could somehow outsmart, escape, hide from God, and so I ran to the school system, and I was a teacher in Iowa for, I think, seven years. I don't want to brag about myself, because this really isn't something to brag about running from God, but I did a really good job for a while. I was very successful as a teacher. I was elevated to a place where I was training other teachers. I was in the highest paid school district in Iowa. I think from the outside looking at my life, I was really successful. But on the inside, it kind of felt like I was drying up and dying because I wasn't living out God's call on my life. It was a, there's a point where I was encouraged to spend one of my summer breaks in Russia as a missionary. And that was a really pivotal moment in my life and my faith because I saw how a life of obedience is like a snapshot of the blessings that God has for people who are obedient to his calling. And when I came back from Russia, I got to the point where I was willing to throw away everything I had built up in the teaching world 
and pursue the call to ministry and to seminary. Believe me, when I quit my teaching job, I was told by several people that I was making a serious mistake. I was wasting my life. Um, but I knew there just had to be something more for me out there that wasn't part of my plan. And so then I went to Asbury Seminary. Eventually, I, I spent some time in Iowa serving as a children's pastor. I received my Master of Divinity, and then my wife and I both moved to South Korea, obediently following a calling to teach in the public schools there and to serve in English-speaking ministry. We had great adventures in Asia, but there were so many times I was in a room of young Korean kids, like, singing the alphabet to them, or going, A is for apple, apple. And I was just like, what am I doing with my life, you know? (laughs) Why am I wasting, like, this profound seminary education to teach phonics to some beautiful Korean children? And I don't know, there's so many times in my life that I come to those transitional moments where I'm like, what am I doing with my life? And so after Korea, we ended up here in Memphis in children's ministry, and now I've transitioned to the wider view of family ministry. In the ministry world, I don't know, I think in the world as large, I think there's a stigma on children's ministry. It's kind of like the old adage that those who can do, those who can't teach. And I think in the ministry world, it's like those who can minister to adults and those who can't minister to students and those who really, really find themselves in the midst of children instead. And I mean, you know me well enough to know that we I could fill up a whole podcast yeah. of why that isn't the truth. But from a worldly view of success in ministry doesn't usually have like a wide enough scope to include children's ministry into it as well or working with children. And so Yeah, there's definite moments when I look at my life and wonder where it all went wrong. Mm -hmm. I think if we're all honest, that's something we all come to several times in our life. And I think I would advocate that we have to look maybe at what it means to be successful in Christ. Yeah. Um, That we follow Christ, we're invited to live lives of obedience and submission to his calling and to his plans. And I think that maybe is what godly success looks like yeah yeah absolutely that brad that's so good thanks for sharing that I and mean, it's just you painted just this picture of like asking this question out of this sense of angst and out of this sense of looking around at your life and go wait a minute is there more and i think we feel that all mm-hmm. the time with our jobs like ministry or non-ministry we get into this spot where our longings for something or even the reason that led us into that career field filled us with this sense of this is what it's going to look like, or this is what I'll be able to accomplish, or this is what is going to be so great about Mm -hmm. X, Y, Z. And then we look around at the messiness of reality or the like mundaneness of reality (laughs) and start to ask this question of, what am I doing here? What is going on right now? And I think it is a, it's a good question to ask and one to wrestle with because I think it points us back to this idea of success, which mm-hmm. we talked about a few weeks ago on this podcast with Nikki, but it causes us to really ask the question of what is success and what is faithfulness. And one thing you mentioned was just this idea of looking at children's and family ministry 
in connection to the larger church or looking at teaching in Korea. It connected to seminary. And I think that the author of this devotional rooted some sense of asking that question in comparison to. Mm-hmm. She, she described it of being desiring to be that church or growing for the sake of growth. You've kind of answered this already, but would love to just go deeper into that. Do you feel that comparison fuels some of your asking of that question as well? Oh, absolutely. I think comparing yourself to others is a pretty natural thing Mm -hmm. to do, but it also, I find it almost always leads to discontentment Mm -hmm. because you look at, I guess I look at the successes of the people I graduated with from high school, college, or seminary even, and I wonder Mm -hmm. if I've completely missed the boat because some of them have been like in the same career for 20 years now. They've reached the height of their career in their field. And I feel like sometimes I'm just kind of wandering along looking for what's next for myself. I look at the lifestyles of the people I used to teach with and are the adventures of the people out there in foreign missionary right now. Mm -hmm. And I begin to feel discontent with what God has given me and put me right now. I think that that it's a dangerous slope when we start comparing ourselves to others because what we're really doing is moving ourselves to discontentment Mm -hmm. and then to covetousness, which I don't need to tell you. I mean, that's against one of the Ten Commandments right there. Like coveting something is really discrediting God's character of generosity and abundance because I like, oh, look at what he's giving Grant. Mm Mm-hmm. There's not enough blessing for myself then, and I start to feel jealous or want what you have. Yeah. Instead of trusting that, hey, God is more than enough and more than sufficient to bless you in his ways and bless Mm -hmm. me in my ways too. Yeah, that's so good. I think it's Sam Albury that talks about this idea of comparison, and I think it connects to this question, but he talks about how we compare our lows with someone else's highs, and they're doing the same thing at the same time. And he... When he says that, he's talking about singleness and marriage specifically, mm-hmm. that when you're married, you're looking at a single person's trip around the world and going, I want to travel as much. And they're looking at your family pictures and going, I'm wanting that. And, and I think we do it with this idea that's discussed today. When we ask the question, have we wasted our lives? We look at the low points of our Absolutely. lives or our professions or our family or all of these, whichever lens you're looking at this through and you're comparing it with some sense of high somewhere else mm-hmm. um, and i think you're right that leads us right into covetousness and, and no we're good we discredit who god is absolutely absolutely in the process absolutely brad i found the quote i found the quote at church a waste of time can be a work of love which is where the title of this devotion comes mm-hmm. from in the story of the older woman at the church, I found that one of the most beautiful and convicting quotes and stories so far in this devotional. And I'm just curious, did it resonate with you as well? Have you had moments like this in the church and children's and family ministry? Yeah. So I told you before we started, the reason I wanted to do this specific chapter was the title, A Waste of Time, A Work of Love. And that's because I feel like that's constantly what God is constantly trying to teach me as you you and I've talked a lot but you know that I'm a results-oriented person Mm -hmm. I on the Enneagram I'm a two with a very strong three achieving wing and so I'm motivated motivated by accomplishing things Mm -hmm. and that so often gets in the way of what God has for me Mm -hmm. it's like a huge stumbling block when I get to work I spend the first part of my work day like writing a list of what I want to accomplish and I Mm -hmm. spend the rest of the day like angry and frustrated because things keep interrupting me 
And I have to, like, I have to have a quote by Henri Nouwen just right by my desk that I'm going to, I'm going to butcher it a little bit, but it says, I've always been complaining that my work was constantly interrupted until I realized that the interruptions were my work. And I think it's really a beautiful because I value efficiency, but I'm constantly being taught that the beautiful things in life are usually found in the inefficient. You ask about church, and I can't tell you how many times that the things I plan, the things I overplan, the things I have, all these possibilities of what I want to do with children, when I let that get interrupted, and instead I follow the children where they're going, mm-hmm. or get behind the children where they're leading, those are the beautiful moments and the transformative moments, not just to the children, but to me. As I was thinking through this chapter, I was reminded of a story about my middle daughter, Evie, when she was probably about four years old, and we went for a hike. And one of the things my family loves to do is go hiking. And that day, we were on a brand new trail. And my goals for that day was I wanted to finish that trail, and I wanted to get home and get all the rest of the things that I wanted to accomplish at home. And somehow I found myself at the back of the pack with my daughter, Evie, and she was going so slowly. <laughs> and she kept stopping and starting and every stick she wanted to pick up and look at. Every pine cone she would stick in my pocket. Every flower she wanted to smell. And I was so frustrated because <laughs> I'm like, you're slowing me down. I want to get through this hike. I yeah. want to see the end of this trail. Yeah. Man, I started praying through my frustration, and God led me back to purpose. Mm. And I began to think, like, what is the purpose of a family hike? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Is it to accomplish the end of the trail and say, wow, we completed this trail? Sorry, I'm pounding. I'm excited here. Or is it to enjoy time together as a family mm-hmm. and help my children develop an awe and love of nature? Yeah. And I just kind of heard God speaking to me, kind of like Jesus says to Martha. He says that Evie has chosen what is better. Yeah. And my job is to walk beside her Mm. or behind her and let her dawdle Mm -hmm. and let her play and explore. Um, I think if our journey of faith is about a relationship with Jesus, Mm -hmm. then we parents have to model that. Yeah. And relationships isn't about what we can do or accomplish. Our relationship mm-hmm. with Jesus isn't what about what we can do for his kingdom. Yeah. It's about being in a loving and forgiving relationship with him. And so that's what we have to teach our children to value. So that's what we have to demonstrate. Yeah. And man, I am smacked over the head by that every day, I think. Yeah. It goes completely against my nature. Yeah. Yeah. It, which is, it's so funny is, I mean, it, against my nature too and and want to see how quickly and how efficiently I can get things done Mm -hmm. and that flies in the face of everything we're supposed to be doing in the church and in parenting and you know while you were sharing I was thinking of a time the other day where we were I was trying to build some chairs and put them together and of course Caden's right there next to me with a fake little wrench trying to do it. And Casey, obviously the wiser of the two of us is saying, hey, that's how God views our work too. And it's, yeah, that's true. Like it's it's spot on that by measurements of efficiency and getting things done, we waste a lot of time, but there is a lot of love in the midst of that. That's the beauty of it is that God 
isn't looking for our efficiency. He's looking for our love. He's looking for our relationships and it's good to embrace the slowness sometimes Absolutely. and enjoy the walk. Absolutely. Like it's good to enjoy where the path is going and not rush through it. I mean, yeah, there's so many countless times during my day that it takes children and my children or my wife sometimes to really remind me like, hey, you need to slow down. You need to be not bent on what you can do. Yeah. But you need to be present in the moment. Yeah. Well, slowing down is where I wanted us to end today. On page 51, there's this long quote on there where it talks about the church being and it being beautiful and it's slower, patient gate for love's sake alone. And so we've returned to this idea of slowing down that Brother Chris talked about mm-hmm. in our second devotional. I'll end, we'll end with me asking you what I asked him. How can we slow down in our lives? How can, and I would love for you to speak personally about this, but also as our pastor of family ministries yeah. into how can our family slow down Absolutely. when we're raising kids and juggling schedules and trying to just have moments together? How do we slow down and create those? I think that's the question. Mm-hmm. I think our society not only is addicted to busyness, but we have a value of, hey, if you're a successful person or your family's happy, they're busy. Mm-hmm. And that often flies against God's purpose for it. As you were talking, I think of three different things, if I may. The first one is I always encourage parents to look at the big picture. When I get to work with parents, I always make them spend some time dreaming about their children, not just where their children are at now, but to look ahead to when they're adults. Mm-hmm. And what do they want their child as an adult to be like? What do we want their marriages and families to look like or their singleness to look like? What do we want their identity in Christ to look like or their relationship to Christ to look like? Usually parents use words like happy, fulfilled, faithful, confident. And then we have to take some steps back and look at where we're at now. And look, hey, we are given time as stewards of our children, not owners of our children, but stewards of our children. How do we bring our children to that desired outcome? So much of it is looking at appropriate and healthy rhythms of life. Our choices as parents teach our children what success means. Is it about being overcommitted and busy? Is it about resting and trusting? If we desire to our children to have a relationship with Jesus, are we making church attendance a priority over sports? Are we making Bible reading as a family and prayer time as a family part of the rhythm of our day-to-day lives. If we aren't, then are we truly looking toward that big picture of what we want our children to be like when they leave our homes and, in most cases, our influences and are suddenly out in the world? How do we want, how do we count our days as parents as we make each day count for their future? The second thing I think about, and this I'll be a lot more quick, but social media is a huge temptation when we compare ourselves to other people and families. And what we're doing, you've said it before, I think, we're looking at our reality and all of its mess against someone's perceived successes and high points. And that's an unfair comparison that always leads to discontentment. I encourage families to be careful with social media. To not become the slave of social media, but to make social media your slave. Let it do what you need it to do to keep in touch with 
distant relatives or whatever you're using it for, but not let it become your master, if that makes sense. And then finally, and this is the lesson that I've been learning really hardcore over the past couple of years, is about Sabbath. As a parent, as a pastor, as a human, man, I feel like I carry a heavy burden. I feel a weight of a lot of responsibility, a lot of things that I have to do. And then I'm confronted with another of God's commandments, the commandment to Sabbath. And I feel like that's the one that we all look at as optional. It's like the optional part of a group assignment or something. And yet, it wasn't optional for God's people. I've heard Sabbath keeping back in the ancient Hebrew days, like to spend one day of rest and not work was like agricultural suicide. There was no way the Hebrew people could survive and have provisions if they didn't farm one day out of the week. And so what it comes to is a sense of that God is going to take up the job and provide for us. And so I think today, Sabbath keeping goes really hard against our culture. Yeah. But on the flip side, it's really intertwined with our identity in Christ and understanding that God has provision and love for us on the other side. Um, And so... In taking a day off, of not working, of not taking your kids to sports, of not working on your computer, answering emails, all that stuff is an act of trust and faith. But it also keeps our agendas from interrupting what's truly important, too. Brad, that's great. Thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. And thank you so much for listening to this discussion on Christianity Today's New Life Rising. Next week, we'll be back with a new guest looking at the ninth chapter, Alive Upon Arrival. Take up and read, church, and we'll see you then.